before we've already worked with individual health plans who decided to pay for our products voluntarily but it's very difficult to find their members if you will you know you can't really do marketing and specifically target the members of a, a certain health plan you could of course bid on their keyword but they don't want that because you drive up their prices they want to bid on their own keyword and short of doing that it's very difficult to target them in any way Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. I thoroughly enjoy bringing you discussions with incredible industry leaders, and it would mean a lot to me if you could rate this podcast in your favorite player, and of course, hit that bell to be notified of future episodes. In the previous episode, I spoke with Joe Perikopka, CEO of Freespira. In their own words, Freespira is the only medication-free FDA-cleared digital therapeutic treatment proven to significantly reduce or eliminate symptoms of panic disorder, panic attacks, and post-traumatic stress disorder in just 28 days. Today, I speak with Hannes Kloper, CEO of Hello Better. Hello Better, in their own words, wants to empower as many people as possible to manage their own mental health and improve their quality of life, anywhere, at any time, with no waiting lists. But before we dive in, Hannes and I crossed paths many times at different events, but never really got to chat. We finally got together in Las Vegas after HLTH conference for a quiet coffee. We found a nice bench outside and had deep discussions on the industry, entrepreneurial journey, and the investment landscape. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Hannes today. Hannes, welcome to the DTX podcast. I know we met last year and I was looking forward to having you on here. We'd love to, for our audience to get to know you, who you are, your background, and please don't forget one small interesting fact about yourself. Hannes Klepper, CEO, Hello Better. I built a startup in the education space prior to building in healthcare. Iversity sold to Springer Nature in 2017. That was my first job out of university. Learned a ton, did a lot of mistakes, of course. But yeah, it was a really interesting time. And in the time after I left the company and I was thinking about what to do next, that I started having conversations with David, one of the original co-founders of Hello Better. There was a core academic founding team that started out already in 2015 to build the company Bootstrapped. And uh, he told me about it and said, look, you know, this is so much potential. It could be so much more. And I started out sort of advising them a little bit on how to go about it. And that's how I got caught up in this. And if you talk about a fun fact or something that's typical for me is my number one strength when you do the strength finder exercises action is get going, get shit done. And that's something that I brought to bear in the context of Hello Better. You kind of started on that pathway already. Would absolutely love to hear the prompt slash instigation to start Hello Better. Even it's like such a perfect name. We all want to feel better, but curious on even the naming itself. So give us a little bit more history on Hello Better, how it initiated. So it originally really grew out of university research. So David, Hanna, Elena, they were working on a research project from 2011 to 2015, found for one indication after another that their approach to translating cognitive behavioral therapy into digital products was very effective. In numerous clinical trials, they could show that these therapy programs that they developed showed clinically significant effect in reducing symptom severity across a broad range of indications. And they, as I said, founded a company at beginning bootstrapped and I joined the team to really take it to the next level, bring in external funding, grow the team, develop proprietary technology, 
that's what we started in 2019. And the team grew from half a dozen people with some freelancers to, at this point, over 120. So it's been quite a journey. Getting stuff done is what entrepreneurs are all about and getting things to market. It's interesting, as I look at a lot of the digital therapeutic companies, some of the lingo that's being used, obviously, it's around cognitive behavioral therapy, direct action. I think you guys are the only company that I've noticed, at least, that actually does not use any of the words, but uses the words courses. Can you explain that and maybe tying that together then? What's that patient customer experience from Rx to using the product and the experience using the product? Talking about lingo, I can talk about that. And I also just realized I forgot about your previous question regarding the name of Hello Better. And both of those are interesting topics, Hello Better, as well as name courses. So maybe just quickly recapping on that first part. That was one of the first things that I initiated when I joined the company. Before it was called Get On Institute. Get On is short for Gesundheitstraining Online, which means health training online. But Get On has different connotations. It's like, let's get it on. It's get on with it, which is kind of really pushy. So that didn't seem like the ideal consumer brand. And then when we thought about what's the core value proposition, it's really about helping people feel better. And so basically, it's say hello to a better tomorrow. Love it. And for the listeners, because I made that mistake myself, it's hellobetter.de for Germany, not .com. Hellobetter.de for now. I mean, we have a couple of other domains for other European countries, and I think we also have a .org for the US. But the topic of courses is something that there have been heated discussions. And the reason we've gone with courses for now is that it gives people at least somewhat of an idea what this is. If you tell someone we built digital therapeutics, they just give you a blank stare. And from a consumer perspective, if someone clicks on an ad and lands on a website and they have no idea what this is, then having a name that at least someone recognizes or have an idea what's supposed to happen next is helpful. And this is because our approach is not just to talk to clinicians. I mean, if you look at other players in the industry, they are very focused on the angle to basically their websites only talk to doctors and prescribers. This is something that we do as well. It's, of course, crucially important to establish DTX in the standard of care, but it's not the only thing that's important. And I think most DIGA companies agree in Germany, if you look at the German prescription digital therapeutic players, that you need to work both sides of the market. You have to talk to doctors, in our case, therapists as well, and educate them about this new treatment modality. At the same time, you need to reach out to patients and educate them about it and yeah, the education and the lingo that you use will be different for these different target audiences. I just kind of looked up the first one that came to mind, like Achille Endeavor RX. They don't say it's a digital therapeutic. They're saying it's a game to reduce ADHD. And to your point, it's a course to help you with your mental health. I always say we help people learn what they need to do in order to feel better. That's the, you know, tell it to my grandma kind of explanation of what we do. And if you talk about learning, then course is closely related, of course. Let's get to the patient experience or the customer experience. You alluded to that, yes, you need to educate doctors, obviously, to prescribe because you are a prescription through DIGA, but also you need to convince end users, patients, consumers to use the product ultimately too. So can you walk us through from getting that prescription through your sick fund? And for our listeners, it's a health plan in Germany, sick fund. You can probably explain a bit better, but walk us through that journey, please. 
It's a somewhat complicated journey that has multiple steps. We didn't design it that way. That's what the law stipulates. And there was definitely, I think, some lobby influence to make it complicated on purpose to limit the adoption. There's a certain fear always amongst the health insurance companies or sickness funds or health plans, whatever you want to call them, particularly mental health where so far there's a certain barrier to finding a therapist and getting that paid for is not so trivial. I think they were just afraid that with this new treatment modality, it would become very, very easy for people to seek help. And that way, costs might explode. So what we see now, the way the law is designed, is that you first need to get diagnosis or a prescription. If you get a prescription, you need to take that to your health insurance company or your sickness fund, they need to check it and give you an activation code. With that activation code, you come back to our website and you can put that in and then start and use the product for free. You can also submit an existing diagnosis to your sickness fund. So you don't necessarily have to go see a doctor or a therapist to get something new. If you, for example, have had a diagnosis for panic disorder for many years and you're taking medication for it, you can just use that pre-existing history, go to your health insurance and say, hey, you know I have this. I would really like to try this digital product now. And then they also have to give you the activation code. So let's dive in on why even go through Diga. I think you guys are a company that now has six of them listed, six of your products for different indications, let's call it that way. But you can maybe explain to our listeners a bit better the six that you have and whatever else is in the pipeline. And then again, the key component of it, why DIGA? Why go through that channel? We have half a dozen therapy programs that have been approved in our portfolio, have been approved as DIGA or listed, as we say in Germany, because they are then put on public lists in the directory, if you will, of products that can be prescribed and where the costs will be covered by public health insurance companies. We decided to pursue this channel because it gives you immediate access to the 70-something million people in Germany that are insured with public health insurance. And also there are some 10 million that are insured with private health insurance. They are not legally mandated to pay for your product, but they generally do as well. And that is actually a key point, And that's a big difference to FDA approval, for example, because that's oftentimes compared. If you receive approval by the FDA in the US, that just means your product is safe and you're allowed to market and make treatment claims. It doesn't mean that anyone has to pay for it. You still have to go to all of the health plans and explain to them what it does and why it produces clinically significant effects and that they should be paying for it because it's good for their members, but there's no automatic reimbursement. That's currently discussed from what I understand, this bill that's in Congress and that may evolve in the US. But in Germany, this is already the case today that once you get your product approved, all public health insurance companies are legally mandated to pay for your product. And having such a big addressable market is, of course, great because there's a great number of people that can use your product for free and you get paid for it by the health insurance companies. It makes a crucial difference when it comes to marketing. Before, we've already worked with individual health plans who decided to pay for our products voluntarily, but it's very difficult to find their members, if you will. You know, you can't really do marketing and specifically target the members of a, a certain health plan. You could, of course, bid on their keyword, but they don't want that because you drive up their prices. They want to bid on their own keyword. And short of doing that, 
it's very difficult to target them in any way. So while you have maybe a partnership with a health plan with a few million people, driving adoption is very difficult in that setup. When you can target everyone, everyone is eligible to use your product for free, you can really start to do mass marketing in a way that wasn't previously possible. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my amazing partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the CEO of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hi, Hannes. What impact on prescriptions or uptake has being enlisted as a DIGA had for you? Thank you, Chandana, for your question. The impact has been significant. As I said, we've been working with health insurance plans for many years. They've been paying for our product since 2015, but adoption there was largely organic. So we only served those members that found our offering on their website. Sometimes their health plans would advertise our service to them, sending out an email blast or mentioning us in the membership magazine. Now we really invest in marketing as well as in sales. We've built a sales team that goes out to doctors and therapists and talks to them. We've built a fairly sophisticated performance marketing operation. We invest a lot in content marketing, many other channels. And yeah, they have been able to drive adoption very significantly. We we're very happy about that. As always, I'm going to chime in here. So can you talk about the number of prescriptions? I'm going to push you a little here. Yeah, sure. I mean, there was a recent publication. It's fairly transparent market, to be honest, because the German public health insurance companies once a year publish a report that gives you data on the adoption of various Giga products. And it only covers the first nine months of 2022. And our products were listed throughout the year. So some of them don't really show up in that report because it's somewhat early days in terms of adoption. But what we're seeing is that we grow between 10 and 20% a month, every month, very consistently for the entire time that we've been listed. What you can say is that the performance varies a lot by product or by indication. And some indications seem to be a lot more suitable. If you look at the ones that really are leading that leak table, they are in the tens of thousands. Our products, some are in the hundreds, some are in the thousands of activations. It's actually an important distinction to make because from the prescription, that's given to a patient. The patient then needs to take that to their insurance company. The insurance company gives them the code. They still need to claim that. You lose about 50% of people. So the number of prescriptions is actually significantly higher. If you have 150,000 prescriptions this year, which is roughly the number that we'll see across the market, that means there are probably 300,000 prescriptions that have been written in total to get to that number. And I think you'll see some of our products rise in that table throughout the next year, and we'll get to see thousands of prescriptions per product per year. Always curious to learn about that pricing negotiation, which is pretty transparent. But before we get there, can you talk a little bit about the evidence generation journey? What was required for DIGA? A little bit of that process? Sure. It's not easy to get a product approved. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? Exactly. And so far, there are some 30 products that received approval over the course of the last two and a half years, but that's only a fraction of those that applied. And some of the bigger companies that received a lot of money and maybe are successful in other markets already, 
either it took them a long time or some of them still haven't made it. So it's not easy. There are two pathways. You can either apply with existing evidence from existing randomized controlled trials that you've conducted in the past to demonstrate the efficacy of your product. And then the study needs to be of a quality that BFAM, the German FDA equivalent, accepts that study. Or you can go for preliminary listing, which means that you also have to provide some evidence in the form of a pilot study to show that you have reasonable expectation or it's reasonable to expect that that product will turn out to be clinically significant in its effect size. And then you get a year time that you're already in the market and you're already getting paid for your product. And during that year, you then have to conduct an RCT that proves that your product has a clinically significant effect. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Hannes Kloper, CEO of Hello Better. So let's jump back to the commercialization through DIGA. Can you kind of walk us through that process, the negotiation process and the steps that were involved to get to that particular price? And I'm sure the six that you have listed may vary and why? Sure. Yeah. In the first year, you can set the price yourself. So that's a fairly generous way to enable companies to set a price that they think makes sense and that allows them to recover some of the costs that are involved in applying for listing and conducting the study. And then there is a process during which the price is negotiated. And it's a multi-step process. You have different rounds of negotiations. Party that you're negotiating with is the Association of Statutory Health Insurance Companies or sickness funds. And they, of course, try to get the best price. So they'll try to poke holes in your study and say, okay, yeah, but you know, if you look at the data this way, is it really that significant an effect? And by the way, this is the effect of other therapies in the standard of care and how expensive are those and try to make their case that they really shouldn't have to pay so much for your DTX. And is part of that the health economic impact? Because again, if you have a certain population, so there's a, some health economic modeling that the sick fund association does to negotiate this? They do. And we do the opposite, of course. We kind of look at the cost in the existing system, what the standard of care is and how many patients are affected and how the system currently is paying significantly more to achieve a comparable outcome. And then we argue that we should be paid our fair share of that cost saving that we generate by offering people faster access to more affordable treatment modality. And out of the six that you have listed, have you had to go through that, let's call it renegotiation process already? The price negotiations only start after you got listed. And in the case of permanent listings, those approvals, they accept existing evidence. The new price starts on day one after the first year of being listed. For the preliminary products, you first have to complete the study because you first have to show that there's a clinically significant effect. That often takes longer than one year because BFARM also takes their time in evaluating the study report that you submit. And sometimes companies need a bit more time, sometimes BFARMs need a bit more time, but it usually takes longer than a year. And therefore, the new pricing only enters into effect a little later than a year after listing. But what you receive in the meantime, you have to pay back. So if your price is reduced, in the meantime, you still get the price that you initially set in the first year. 
but the difference to the price that comes out of negotiation and the price that you set that you have to pay back for the time after the first year. Again, you guys, I think as a company have the most DIGAs listed, but you can correct me there. Are you also looking outside of Germany, maybe US market? We had some folks from the French Ministry of Health that's also pushing. Belgium obviously has stuff. So curious on how you guys have your eyes set outside of Germany. Sure. We're looking at what's happening in Europe, and there are multiple companies that are planning to emulate the German legislation in some shape or form. France, Belgium, but also recently Portugal announced that they want to create a similar reimbursement pathway. Austria is looking into this, and many others, Luxembourg and so on. So we are watching this closely uh, to see what comes out of it. I mean, the most advanced is probably France because they already passed the law. We're waiting eagerly for the detailed regulations that kind of stipulate how exactly it will work because so far we only have the law but we are missing this directive that will spell that out in more detail and really define whom do you apply to with what how long does it take what is required what exactly are the hurdles if you will that you have to jump that you have to clear UK is interesting because they recently announced that NICE will now give a national level recommendation after a sort of relatively quick process that takes about half a year. So this is something that we're also looking into. And then, yeah, the US is, of course, for all healthcare companies, interesting market. Some consciously decide against going there because it's big and scary, if you will, and it takes a lot of money to succeed, of course. We see opportunity there for our product portfolio. We started with Halogena, halogena.com, as our first foray a pilot, if you will, to test the waters in the US, where we took the Vaginismus product that's already been approved in Germany as a DIGA, created a US version of it. And it's the only DTX to treat Vaginismus, so pelvic floor pain, that exists that has a randomized control trial study showing that it's effective. And unlike in other areas like sleep, for example, or depression, where there's a lot of competition in the US, this is a space where there is none. There's no one out there. We're the only game in town and we have a product that really works. And therefore, we started to reach out to providers to talk to them about this product and the reactions have been phenomenal. I mean, my colleague who's working on this, she is telling me with glowing eyes about the conversations that she's having where people really say, you know, this is something we've been waiting for. And yeah, we see a lot of opportunity there. And just for our listeners, I try to go, hello, Gina. Maybe I misspelled it. Maybe you can spell it for us. Hello and then Gina, G-I-N-A dot com. Sounds good. So with that, I wanted to maybe step back because as part of any entrepreneurial journey, well, some entrepreneurs decide not to take external capital in and bootstrap it and grow that way. But I think when you do have some R&D or major R&D costs to bring therapy to market, whether it's digital therapy or not, I think good, bad, or indifferent venture capital is a key component of that. Walk us through kind of your funding story, but also maybe contrast, because I've heard on one occasion, a German investor kind of said, well, honestly, the volume is so little through DIGA, I don't care. Being listed in DIGA means nothing to me. It's a one anecdotal data point, but I'm curious on your experience, maybe compare Europe broadly and US investors, if you've spoken to them. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of investors <laughs> over the years. And raising funding for DTX is not trivial because it's a very complex business. And VC is a risk minimization game. And if you look at a DTX company, 
a lot of things have to go right for this business to succeed. And that, from their point of view, is often challenging because that means that a lot of things could go wrong <laughs> at the same time. If you succeed and you check all those boxes, then you have something really valuable. And you have to find the people who get that and who are willing to take that risk. Luckily, we did. We have a great group of investors supporting us. We're currently in the process of preparing around with them that I'm very grateful for. And particularly in this difficult environment right now, of course, that's not a given. And I think we've been able to demonstrate over the years, time and again, that we kept our promises. We delivered what we said we would deliver. And yeah, they are willing to support us and see the value of that. When it comes to Diga specifically, looking at the volume of today and saying, ah, this isn't interesting. It's a bit like looking at Amazon in 1999 and saying what they're selling books online. How's that interesting? I mean, we're really at the very beginning of this. And if you look at the growth rates that we're seeing in this market, yeah, of course, the total volume is negligible right now. There are 500 million prescriptions in Germany every year. We have 125 to 150,000 DIGAs that will be activated this year. It's a fraction of a per mil, but it's growing very rapidly. And what we are seeing, if you look at the reports investigating clinician awareness, clinician adoption and willingness to adopt, those numbers have been rising dramatically. And I would say there's an increasing acceptance amongst prescribers, doctors, therapists. Uh, there's an increasing awareness amongst patients. And the day will come, and it's not that far out a few years from now, where this will be completely accepted and normal. And then the volume will be very, very, very different. Let's step back. We talked about policymakers and DIGA has been a shining example in Europe and all eyes have been on DIGA. And I always like to ask towards the end of the podcast with a guest, you know, what advice would you give to? I think for you, I'm going to actually select policymakers. There's a lot of efforts going on around Europe and beyond. So what advice would you give to policymakers? First of all, I guess I should say that who am I to give advice to people? But let me say what I think the German policymakers got right, in my view, and that is that they started and did it. They very much with a sort of startup mindset, taking a risk, being willing to ship something that isn't perfect. So they took more of an agile approach to policymaking than I think is normal, specifically also in the German ministerial bureaucracy where typically everything has to be perfect and safe and whatnot. So that's, I think, a lot of entrepreneurs and just digital health community more broadly has been very grateful for that they also purposefully decided to limit it to what is DIGA today and not try to do something that is everything to everyone, but said, okay, let's try to get this category of product into the market and then we can take the next step afterwards. And I think this is something that I would recommend to other policymakers to at least seriously consider and take a close look at. Steve Jobs said, real artists chip. And if we have another 10 years of debate on what the perfect year or digital health legislation might look like, that's not helping anyone. Agreed. Well, we started with you and some interesting facts about you and your history. I would love to end this podcast with you as well. What gets you up in the morning, Hannes? I think we have a real opportunity here to radically lower the barriers to accessing care. And that's something that I think is exciting. I personally know a lot of people who struggled with their mental health, who found it difficult to access care, who didn't really know 
whom to turn to and having a treatment modality with DIGA that's available 24-7 anytime to anyone for free, at least in the German context for now and hopefully eventually anywhere in the world. That's something that is an amazing vision that not just myself, but I think a lot of people have a better share and are excited to get up at four in the morning. Amazing. And the four in the morning part. So kudos on that. Thank you very much, Hannes, for making the time. And for our listeners, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.